0: what keeps going through my head is like what happens if you know you're on your way to your team off-site retreat sort of situation and the plane goes down and so now your entire team is dead you know so they have to hire a bunch of people to come in and work after you and now these people have
1: to I like a out, more okay, positive one everyone won the lottery <laughs> there, there you go yeah, there so you go Thanks, and they won the lottery they they left and they've, they've moved like well, a remote location out in Borneo and you can't call them <laughs> let's, let's not kill these hypotheticals their lives matter <laughs>
2: You're listening to Working Code with your hosts, one of whom probably just wrote a new JavaScript library, Adam, Ben, Carol, and Tim.
0: Okay, here we go. It is show number 126. And on today's show, we are going to talk once again about documentation, although this time a slightly different angle. We're going to talk about not so much documenting like The ways that the product works for your end users or like manual processes that developers and and support people might need to follow, but more like design documentation for revisiting why things are the way they are when you are confused about your product in five years and you're debugging or trying to remove some technical debt, re-optimize, whatever. Anyway, we'll get into that in a few minutes. As usual, why don't we start with our triumphs and fails. Carol's back. And, and so far, no uh, unscheduled showers.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, hey guys, uh, I'm going to kick us off with some failures. <laughs> like Adam mentioned last week when we started recording, no sooner than we all get together, water starts dripping out of my ceiling, literally dripping out of my ceiling fan and light. Found out the air conditioner had backed up into the drain pan. The whole like, everything up in the attic was wet. Our hallway has water damage. So that happened. We're getting that fixed this Thursday. The the air is good, but now we have lots of water damage to fix. And then Sunday, I decided to get my COVID booster because I'm going to my son's graduation in three weeks and I'm never around humans. So I figured I'm the like perfect candidate to catch COVID (laughs) group of people if anyone's going to still catch it. So that has made my arm feel like it's a brick on my on my shoulders. Okay, it hurts so bad. Oh, mm. uh, but then yesterday I decided it'd be a good idea to finish up painting and you know kind of cut my finger a little bit and needed mm. some stitches and ended up getting a tetanus shot in the other arm. So now no. I'm walking around with just bricks instead of arms. So I'm giving up and just going to sleep the rest of this week away. Man, wow. Yeah, it's not been a good week.
0: I'm sorry for
1: your luck.
2: Oh yeah. yeah, it'll it'll all wash out. It's good. What about you, Tim? Where are you at? Triumphs or fails?
1: I'm going to the triumph. I'm feeling energized this week. I've been a few weeks of just just really low motivation, low desire to. And I've, I've become aware that I've been procrastinating things, which I don't like to do. My four follow up flag in my email box has just been growing, growing, growing.
3: Oh, I know that
1: story. Yeah. You know how I love to be in box zero, but if it's like something I just can't deal with right now, I just kind of flag it. And then, I, so I got you know this week it's, we're recording earlier than we normally do, but so far the past couple of days been really good, knocking everything out, getting things done. I, I've been getting more sleep, better sleep, drinking a bit less. And I think that really helped. So being a little, <laughs> a little more health conscious, you know, not eating so much junk food all the time, but it it does help. It does, yeah. I, something I had to change. So there's that, but also I just noticed that this will come out around May 10th, right? So mm-hmm. that May 8th would be my 24th wedding anniversary. So, thanks. congrats, happy anniversary, honey! Happy 24 years. So, Wait a minute, Tim. You don't
0: listen to this podcast. Why would your wife listen to it?
1: <laughs> I don't know. Maybe to see what I'm up to. <laughs> yeah, she doesn't listen to it. But, but uh, yeah, so that's that's exciting. 24 years, and then so today. We got watched um, the movie *Ghosted*. It's Chris Evans and Anna De and Christopher Mackey and Stan Sebastian. It's an Apple Plus movie. It's kind of like a comedy, romance, spy thriller. Hmm. But my wife was an extra in it. And oh, nice. the scene is like set in like a, a Pakistani nighttime bazaar. And she told me it's just basically it was a big parking lot, you know, and they kept walking around pretty much in circles to make it look. Bigger than it was. And she is in there probably 15, 20 times. Wow. That's
2: nice.
1: But she's in full burka Right.
0: You can't see her. <laughs> Remember you telling us. It's hard to
1: tell. So she's like, because it was her and two other women, and they would walk together, all three of them. And anytime you saw a burger you say, Oh, there's me. That's me. Oh, there's me. That's me. <laughs> and she, so she was excited about that. It was like, yeah, you, you could tell people that, but it's like, eh. Right. Yeah, I'm standing next to you. <laughs> yeah. That's me walking right behind Chris. Chris, Chris Evans. Is, is
3: the movie any good? Because I saw the trailer. It's awful. The, yeah, the trailer bad. looks awful. It's Aww. so
1: awful. It's so, so we old. shouldn't
2: go watch it?
1: I mean, if you want to watch it to laugh at it, it's one of those. It's like, mm-hmm. it's so bad. It's hilarious. Just the whole premise of it. You're like, you don't know why this guy is chasing after this girl. And... Yeah, and just even like, yeah, I don't want to give, give off. If you do want to watch it, I don't want to give the premise away. But it's like, it's a comedy of errors of assassins trying to catch this person. So, yeah, it's pretty awful. The dialogue's awful. We watched the trailer the other day,
3: and I was like, oh, that was the woman from Saturday Night Live. I had no idea who Anna de Armas was.
1: Oh, yeah. yeah she was in Knives Out, the original Knives Out. Yeah, and so. she was in the remake of Blade Runner? Yeah. And she was also Marilyn Monroe in the latest. Oh, I haven't seen that. Blonde. Blonde. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So anyway, so those are all great things and so I'm feeling good. So that's my triumph. How about you, Adam?
0: Let's see. I'm going to go with the triumph as well. Mine is, I, I mean, I guess you could say the real triumph here is that we hired a smart person and we continue to get smart solutions out of them, <laughs> which is great. You know, I, 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 don't suppose i can take personal credit for hiring this person i knew him but i was not the person that brought him into the company but i'll i'll tell a little bit of the story of you know why what made me think of that today so you might have heard i might have mentioned on the podcast that i haven't been doing a whole lot of coding lately because i'm working on all this compliance stuff and dealing with stale access keys and all that so one of the things that we're doing for this effort is getting closer to the top of of our game on you know secrets management sort of thing so we are heavy users of one password which i cannot recommend enough i love the the app and all of the features that they have are fantastic but they also have some additional sort of enterprisey features if you have a business account and those things have been tremendously helpful in this process they have sort of two things that are really interesting right now one is i know i've talked about on the show before which is called connect server which allows you to stand up a couple of docker containers inside of your cloud vpc right in in your applications environment which you give it some secrets and then it can just connect to the one password like cloud and and have access to your secrets that you know you have to choose which vault it has access to and that sort of thing but using that you can basically have access to your secrets at runtime through effectively a rest api or they have like SDKs, so that you can you know just make some javascript function calls that sort of thing if that's what you're looking to do and it's been really nice and i've been using it to do like automated key rotation so that's the part that we've talked about before the other part is it's called service accounts which is basically you can kind of think of it's a it's new it's in beta. But you can kind of think of it as instead of like a human user, you've just designated like a, not a robot, but you know what I mean? Like a a computer account that acts as if it is a user, right? It can sort of, you can assign it access to different vaults. And so it can see those secrets and has all the same permissions as a, a user that would have access to those vaults and secrets. And that can be used for, that's primarily like on the command line. So you can say like, I want to fill in this environment variable to start a, a service and the environment variable is a secret that I'm pulling from 1Password at startup via the command line, which is pretty neat. One of the things that has been kind of difficult about this whole process is you get into like a who watches the watchman type situation, right? So you've got all of your secrets in, in my case in 1Password. And you need a secret to access those secrets. So then it's like, okay, well, but then what do I do with this secret, right? I can't put it in any of my usual places, right? If you're not supposed to have it embedded in the code, you're not supposed to have it in a config file somewhere. You're not supposed to have it in an environment variable. The environment variable thing kind of took me by surprise, right? Like, Yeah, that one also
3: feels very weird to me.
0: Yeah, it seems like that's sort of the industry standard advice. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah, you put your secrets in environment variables, which, you know, I think for... of people and 90% of solutions is probably a fine thing. But when you start to get into like PCI compliance and all these other, you know, things, it's like, eh, that's not really ideal, I guess, because
3: I I had this conversation at work because my point of view was if someone has gotten onto your machine to a place where they can start to inspect your environment variables, I'm like, aren't you hosed already? Like, can't they just already do basically whatever they want? And and the response from the security guy was like, maybe, it depends on how everything's set up. He's like, it's not that this is going to stop everything, it's just that it's supposed to make it harder. So yeah. it's one of those trade-offs where I feel like sometimes you got to squint really hard to see the value add.
0: I mean, I, I see the idea, right? It, it, it's not a guarantee, but it's like, okay, well, we're striving for a goal, right? So if your machine does get pwned, like... How do we keep that from meaning that the whole business is pwned, right? Right, so, right, right, Anyway, so, uh, you know, we, we were kind of thinking about different options. There's like AWS Secret Manager because we're on AWS, and I had heard of that, so I looked into it, and it's it seems like a fine-ish option. But then this coworker, really smart guy, who happened to be aware of another service that Amazon offers that is actually free for, like, for our use case, right? There's a certain, there's a free tier, to it basically and since we only have one secret that we need to store it's totally free to us basically it's called parameter store and effectively like it's only use it's only usable by certain services which is the services that we're using like ECS elastic container service so you configure your containers and you can say okay I want you to pull this environment variable out of parameter store as the container is starting up so when you like when you start the container it's got the name of the environment variable and it says load it from parameter store and here's the like key name to pull it out of parameter store and then you also have to execute that container using a role that has access to parameter store, right? So you've got all the, all the authentication configured but the secrets are all completely hidden which has been pretty nice. So, yeah, just yes. higher par- smart people, get smart solutions.
1: Secret management, I mean, that, that's a tough one. Yeah,
0: maybe.
2: Yeah, that'd I mean, be a I, good show. Yeah,
0: I mean, I think I think it would end up being a shorter show, but I think that some of my co-hosts would appreciate that.
2: <laughs> ben and myself, if you're curious I mean,
0: on who those are, teach us and So yeah, let's put it on the list. Maybe we'll get to that one. But anyway, so that's me. Hire smart people, get smart solutions. I guess that brings us to Ben.
3: Yo yo yo! I I've been feeling a little logie lately. The last couple of episodes, I've had some some failures, just about feeling meh and. Lost and whatnot, so I'm gonna I'm gonna try to dig deep here and pull out a triumph, and that's that. As I've mentioned, I've been migrating my blog to use Hotwire, the Basecamp framework, and I had to refactor a bunch of things, and I had to pull my comment form. So at the bottom of the blog post, there's a comment form where you can leave a comment. I had to pull that out into a separate page for a while because I was having trouble getting things loading properly. And my triumph is that I've I've got everything sort of back to the previous user experience, but now using Hotwire. And uh, there were some stumbling blocks along the way where I wasn't quite sure how I wanted to do some stuff. And uh, I, f- I think I finally came up with some solutions that I'm pretty pleased about. There, there is some experiential stuff that I feel like was better previously. But if, if you step back for a second and think abstractly about what Hotwire is trying to do, it's trying to allow you to create advanced interactions with a minimal amount of client-side javascript so i think as with all things the pendulum swings a little too hard in the other direction for a while so i kind of went from fully customized javascript to trying to remove all the customized javascript and i think what i really need to do is have something somewhere in the middle where it's like 80 percent hotwire and http and then like 20 percent adding back in some of that, the that user experience with some additional javascript but you know, just trying to find my footing there, but I'm I'm excited that I've I feel like it's basically done. Like I've basically got the Hotwire implementation. And I'm pretty happy about that.
0: So, how much time are you spending working on this? Because I know it's in your personal website, and so it's not something you're working on eight hours a day, right? No, like, no, no.
3: It, it's it's dribs and drabs. It's a couple hours here, a couple hours there. I, I probably spent more time on it than I expected to, for sure. Just because it's it's been a lot of uh, that's the way learning goes. Yeah. Well, and it's and it's it's learning. It's like, it's not just learning the technology, it's learning the way in that there, you know, you know, like with woodwork, right? Like you can work with the grain or you can work against the grain. And the problem is like, I don't quite know where the grain is pointing right now. So I'm doing a lot of cutting only to find out that that's not the way Hotwire wanted me to do the thing. And now I'm refactoring and, and trying to find the right path. So there's, there's definitely been some trial and error. And then like sometimes this is the heads, way. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes I'll hit something. And I'm like, this was clearly not the way. And then I'll spin off a little demo where I can do some experimentation. And I'm like, okay, that that proves or disproves a particular approach. And then I go back to the blog and then I start to implement this, the learnings from that previous experiment. So there's been a lot of side quests, and but I'm I'm pretty excited about it actually. Cool. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Is it
1: speeding up your page any, or this just more for? Learning a new it, tech.
3: It has zero impact <laughs> on page load. I think, you know, as I talked about in a previous episode, my CDN is actually slowing down my page delivery, it turns out, more than anything else. I guess the, you know, the DDoS protection from Cloudflare ends up adding quite a significant amount of overage. I mean, I get, I don't know, I guess it depends on where your servers are and everything. But no, it's so sorry, long story short, it really has had no impact whatsoever on page load.
0: That's do you feel true. like what you've learned you could or would apply at work? And so, like you know, even though you haven't gotten a direct benefit out of it now, it, you've you've kind of added a tool to your tool belt.
3: Yes, in fact. Okay, so uh, what I really want to do is now take the Hotwire learnings and start rolling them into a new application. I, I've I've dreamt of forever building some sort of a fitness app, which seems completely silly granted that there's like a saturation of fitness apps in the market but i write all my stuff down in the iphone notes app which is like the worst of all solutions for tracking anything so what i really want to do is create a fitness app and build it using hotwire so i think all of the stuff that i've been learning applying it to my blog i can now take and apply to uh this kind of a more application-y context so If you want to throw down the gauntlet like that, I will
0: go ahead and I will make a better or I'm sorry, a worse fitness application. I'll just take like the Apple Notes application interface. And like after every time that you write a line in there, I'll make you watch an unskippable 30 second ad.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Genius. Good time. Good time. It can always be
0: worse. Great. Well, then I guess that brings us to our topic for the day. So basically, I guess we wanted to talk about design documents, right? And, and maybe what we each do, what we would like to start doing differently. What, what do we like and dislike about our current processes? What could be better sort of thing? So should I kick it off? Kick it off. Okay, cool. Just one time. (laughs) Kick it. So I guess one thing that I don't like about my current process is that we don't have one. We, we just like have a discussion on video chat, you know, with the, the, developers that are going to be involved sometimes we will have you know sometimes we will have a discussion with the customer directly like the whole team that's going to be working on it and kind of write down what we learned from that discussion sometimes like one person has a discussion with the customer and then brings that back to the team and we go from that and it works we create products and we are have a, a business that's doing fine so you know the, in that sense you know. It's working for us, but I heard something on the, what is it, JS Party podcast recently. They were talking about documenting your decisions so that you can look back on them in the future and, you know, understand why a decision was made, understand why the code is the way it is. You know, sometimes it seems like there's a more obvious implementation and you're wondering why wasn't it done that way. So being able to document that sort of thing sounds like a good idea. And I have lots of thoughts on like ways that could be better and tools and stuff, but I kind of want to start with like, what do you guys each do?
2: So to take a step back, whenever we're looking for products to use, so say we're looking to implement something like what we've used in the past is the, I don't know if people say this like as a name, but it's D-A-C-I, which is in Confluence and basically it comes with a template and in there you have the ability to Lay out who's responsible for what, you lay out who is involved with it, and then you have sections at the bottom where you do a pros and cons and a cost. So you lay out everything that you research. So if you're looking for, you know, I remember doing it when we were looking at comprehend. So we were looking for what a good solution would be for natural language processing so we looked through many options, did our pros and cons, did you know what we thought it or how we thought it would help the company, where it had shortfalls at, and then we brought that all back to the table and we made a decision on it. And then at the very bottom of that document, you have your decision, why you made that decision, and it's ultimately there for anyone to see. And it's a living document, so if we make changes down the road, you just update with we've made a new decision. You know, we've made changes and here's why.
0: Yeah. I love the idea of living documents for something like this. Right. So it
2: It has to be. Otherwise, what's the point of it? Because things change in technology all the, all the time.
0: Yeah. So many things are just capture a point in time and then it gets outdated within like a month and then you're looking back on it in two years. And there's been so many decisions that changed since then. And it's a Mm. totally useless document.
3: How do you remember Carol to go back and actually make it living and not just a moment in time?
2: I mean, that's our own responsibility. Sometimes it's good when the product owner was involved with it initially because they will be looking at that document to figure out what the decisions were. And then they'll be writing specs to say, hey, here's what we, here's where we're having a problem. Send that to engineering and say, how do you solve this problem? And then we look back at that document. So it's just the responsibility of people using the system and or not using the system, the people writing the system. And the people designing like the request to know to go look and see if there is one. If not, let's start making one.
0: Yeah. I don't know that you can have technology that's like, oh, don't forget, this is a thing that needs to,
1: you need to update your document, but. We need Clippy. Yeah. Hey, I noticed <laughs> I you changed Clippy. your specifications out, out of the original design project. <laughs> no. Do you need to update your living document?
3: Yo, but you joke, but there's almost certainly some team out there who has decided that they're GitHub pull request template should include a checklist of documents that are supposed to be adjusted after each PR. Yeah, and like that's that's like the inevitable worst case scenario of process implementation.
0: Yeah, and I mean, I I think that is a a good intention overdone or something like that. Right, like uh, where I was headed was like, okay, so we all try to remember to update the document whenever it's appropriate to do so. Sure. we all try to remind each other. So I was thinking like code review would be a good opportunity, right? When you're reviewing somebody <laughs> Sorry, else's I code. I didn't mean to
3: pre-poop. <laughs> no, no, no. no, <laughs> I, 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 no
0: I, I still think there's a huge distinction to make here, right? You, what you said was every PR has a template. And yeah, one of yeah. the things in that template is, have you, you know, a checkbox, have you updated the documentation for this project or whatever? And not not every PR is going to do that, especially no. if it's a Ben Nadell PR where you're like, <laughs> you know, you're just adding a PR because you added 74 lines of white space. Like, <laughs> it's a that, diatribe that has no effect on why on the document. this
3: area has been left
0: blank <laughs> <laughs> so just a comment with like 74 <laughs> blank lines and then it says this space intentionally blank then another 74 white blank lines no so like I, I think it has to be very manual but like you know you, you get better at it through practice right you're going to screw it up a little bit and and like everybody repetition, involved from, repetition
2: repetition yeah. 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 No everybody advantage. involved
0: from the developer to the code reviewers. And then like, if you have like, if you're the, the fortunate type that has like product managers and you have like project managers, like everybody involved can be like, okay, well this seems important. Did we update
3: the the document about this? I, I just, can I jump in for a second? Because I feel now bad about how strong I came out against <laughs> pull request templates. And, and I want to be transparent that that, jagged response there is the result of having something like that at work we used to have what we called the the chain i think it was like the change request board cbd or you know, something like yeah. that it was yeah. like a group of people that were designated as like they're they're the ones that have to look at all the prs and they mm-hmm. decided about this this template that would be in the pull request and it got to the point where people would open up a pull request, just delete the entirety of the content that was pre-populated and then fill out their own PR. And to this day, this was like five years ago. And mm-hmm. to this day, people will still bring it up. They'll be like, dude, don't rock the boat or else they're going to implement another change request board again. We don't want that to happen. Mm-hmm. So I feel like I'm still, you know, the, the pain of that has echoed through the years. I, you know, some, I brought some brought trauma some there. there to the conversation. So I apologize it's okay no no no. don't apologize because
0: it's accurate it's true and it's a valid opinion like and, and i agree with it like you know i think that you know helping each other get there is is good and i don't think that necessarily saying like having a checkbox on there that says if appropriate did you update the the document for this project for any you know changes design changes that were decided on or whatever right like it it costs you one or two seconds to look at that and go okay yeah no there were no there's nothing to document and check the box right and then it it helps you remember if it is appropriate i think where people get that negative taste in their mouth is like when all of a sudden you have 150 of those check boxes for every pull request that's
1: yeah, yeah. that's ridiculous yeah
2: cuz you know you're and just it, saying yes to everything at that point and not looking at any of it
1: yeah and it, it very <laughs> i mean once you start going down a path not everything's a design change right we're talking about like a yeah. major major issue right so to have that check there every single time for the very small percentage of times where someone who just doesn't know why someone mm-hmm. was designed that way decides to redesign something because they don't understand the system i mean i don't know if that's necessarily the best way to catch it i'll tell you what what we do is we will do we don't use confluence or anything like that we you know pretty small team we just use we'll create a research ticket So we have this new thing. We're trying to design it. We create a research ticket. Research ticket says, states the problem. And then says, you know, what we researched to say, what would solve the problem, what we think would solve the problem, what things were looked at, what things were thrown out and why, what was chosen and the reasons why. And, you know, how we believe that in the future it will benefit us. And here's, and maybe some of the things that we know might be challenges to overcome due to whatever. Solution we decide upon, but I don't think we ever go back and update it.
3: I I also yeah. think that part of the problem with the documentation that we have in a lot of places, in terms of remembering to go back and update it, is that it's so distributed in so many places. Mm-hmm. I I have tried to pitch this at work several times, and literally everyone thinks that I'm crazy. But I think at least on the at the team level, maybe I don't, I don't know how. What the blast radius is here. But I feel like a team should have one document that they control. And that's it. Like no, no, like here's the readme, and then the readme links to the contributing doc. And then the contributing doc links to the getting it running locally doc, which links to the E to E tests recommendations doc. Like I think you should have one doc that I can pull it up and I can do a command F and be like, look for Docker Compose or look for E to E or look for flow diagrams or something. I At least if it was all in one place, you get that constant one pressure to be like, is this worth adding to make this document even longer than it already is? But then also a reminder that all that information actually exists. And is it maybe need to be cleaned up or is it something I should be updating? But again, everyone thinks I'm nuts. No one, no one likes that idea except me.
2: (laughs) A large, a large document like that's very intimidating to me, though. I would get lost in it and my ADD would kick in and I would find nothing. <laughs> yeah. And I would ultimately close it, go figure it out myself and it would take a lot longer.
3: I, yeah. I don't disagree with that as well. I can't push back hard. <laughs> so I'm just
0: trying to understand, are you saying one document for everything that the entire team works on or like one document per like project, per, per product?
3: Well, that's what I'm saying is I, I don't quite understand where the radius is, but I, yeah. I just I just know that People, I think, get obsessed with creating new documents because mm-hmm. maybe it's so easy and they can be done in isolation, so it doesn't feel like it has a lot of weight to it. But documentation, I think, has a, it, it, you know, to the point of this conversation, it gets out of date very easily and very quickly. And if it were harder to create good documentation, maybe people would be better about keeping it up to date.
0: Yeah. I think that's a really interesting point about it being really easy to create a new document in whatever random system you feel like creating a document in, right? Like you can just go to what is it docs.new, right? Boom, you're already open in a brand new <laughs> Google Doc, right? Versus okay, I have to go find the right database page in Notion to add a document to for the for this project or for you know whatever it is that I need to document or or whatever tool right if I, if it's if it's in a git repo, like how do I know where it belongs inside that repo yeah like i I think for it to to be useful you have to just agree as a team that like even if it's not a perfect solution having a single place where this type of document lives is itself of high value right so we just agree we're not going to have Markdown files in GitHub and Notion and Confluence and, a, a you know, a, a, too it, many a, places. Yeah, 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 yeah. All the things and a Trello board and all this, like just pick one, whatever it's going to be, whatever you can get people to agree to, like pick one thing and that's going to be the thing. And yeah, there's going to be friction and there's going to be people that don't like it. And there's going to be like, it would be easier if, but the value of like having it all in one place means you only have to go to one place to, to search.
2: Yeah, I agree and, with that. I think
0: that that's huge. Yeah.
2: And I like the idea of using Confluence or doc or, you know, wherever else you want to put it, that's not technical because then that doesn't limit you to who can add and contribute to it Yeah. because our product owners and product managers don't want to be learning the markup to go write files that need to be checked into code somehow or stored somewhere. They just need to be able to go into the system where they're working, which is JIRA usually open a page, create a new document and attach to it either you know an epic or a story or a bug something that just links Mm -hmm. together easy for them
0: yeah now so i want to say this as somebody who has never i've touched jira a little bit but other than that i've never really dove into the like whole jira ecosystem the atlassian ecosystem never seen confluence that i know of you know any of that but i think that if you can make it work, like if the people using it are technical enough, I see a huge amount of value in using markdown files in a Git repo. I think I would want that Git repo to be separate from the product itself, right? You don't want to have to like, I think copy it up has to be. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You don't want all, all those documents to be included in no. your, like, I would be annoyed
2: looking at CI the code. Already, right? Yeah. Yeah. I'd yeah. be so annoyed opening those folders. I'd be like, no, but, there's extra.
0: And, and here's the sort of the killer feature reason why I think it should be marked down in a, a Git repo, and that is Git blame. Right. So if this is a living document and things are changing over time, you want to be able to look and see when was this updated, by whom, what did they change? Show me a diff of what changed. And I feel like that would be huge.
2: Yeah, Confluence has that with the documents. So you see versions and whenever you create a new version of it, you add a comment. So people can see like why you'd make the change if you put a comment, obviously, and then you can actually open up a compare of the two versions.
3: I did not know that. And we use Confluence. I didn't know that. Sounds useful. Yep.
2: It shows the versioning. I think it's up in the right-hand corner. You just do the little drop down that says show the previous versions.
3: My, the one thing that I dislike about Confluence, which I think is ironically the reason that a lot of people like it is all the embedded widget tree. Like I just want an editable document. I, <laughs> I I, get very confused when you go to edit a document and it has all kinds of linked tables of contents and other data grids and flow diagrams all embedded, but they're actually different widgets and you got to go into other places to edit them. That, or like you can include documents or sections from other documents. I mean, it's yeah. pretty amazing that it can do all that, but at the end of the day, like I just want a document that I can edit. Just a simple man with simple needs. Yo, I'm just a clicking a pointing kind of guy.
2: <laughs> what the scrum masters can do is has always been amazing to me. Like they put down our put the burn down charts in there, put velocity on it. I'm mm. like, where'd you even get this data from? They're like, oh, you just hit like open bracket. The date, yeah, yeah. a sprint thing, close was, it, and it just populates it. And I was like, here, I'm thinking you're doing this crazy, fancy stuff, and it's just a tag. Right. <laughs> I'm like, okay, this is why everybody does love it, because those widget trees and magic little things are pretty easy to just pop in and make a document look very sophisticated.
0: <laughs> Yo, quick, quick tangent, the three of you, do you have strong opinions on whether Agile is good, bad, or otherwise?
2: I would say my, that's a
1: quick tangent. Yeah, it's, not,
2: it's definitely not going to be a quick one. The short answer would be it depends on the need and how the team works. And it works successfully as agile sometimes. And then yeah. other times it needs to stay like a Kanban style where we just go with what's thrown at us. It just depends on what your product does and how your team works.
3: I was actually just talking to the CTO about it today. And my take on it was the individual contributors don't care at all like they just work tickets they don't care about sprints they don't care about when one sprint ends and one sprint starts and what the burn down was like that only matters to managers so it, to mm-hmm. me it feels like it's up to managers to figure out whether or not they need to impose more structure in order to communicate upward within the organization because to me as, a, as more of an individual contributor you're like you want to close out the sprint yeah, sure, I'm just going to keep working on my tickets. Like I, That doesn't mean anything to me.
1: Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think Agile's promise was to, to have managers managers be able to give a somewhat accurate answer to the question, how long is it going to take and what are we going to get? But I don't think it, in the end, works out that way. It's like people put stuff in buckets or t-shirt sizes or estimations, and they're always wrong. They're never correct. but I think that's more important whenever you have maybe to answer to a customer or you know another party that's maybe paying for all the, the hours they're trying to figure out how much it's going to cost them, which is you know obviously a good question to ask. But you know our form of business, we don't answer to a we're building a product, and we're just trying to get a product done in a way that makes sense. And it's like, all right, what do we work? What are the things we need to work on now in the next whatever time frame to be able to get something out the door that people can see and to be honest it's like if, if you miss the, the time frame you miss the time frame you're not i'm not gonna we're not gonna ship broken stuff <laughs> right yeah for Although, sure it gives you it gives you some idea but it's i yeah I, i've heard the term a lot more, about agile waterfall mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah it's
0: agile until you like squint really closely or something and then it's just yeah. like waterfall behind stuff mm-hmm. yeah
1: so, so I I don't I I get the idea, but I don't think the execution of it. I don't really know any people that do it well. thank you for
0: entertaining my question. I, 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 that was kind of the exact answers I expected, right? So I feel often very gullible because I read something and I just tend to like like it, you know I read I read the the uh, Agile Manifesto, I read the Scrum Guide, and I read a book, an O'Reilly book called Learning Agile, and it it made sense to me. It sounded very interesting, potentially useful. It sounded like a lot of meetings, but you know, if you got a hundred percent buy-in from all of the people, then maybe it could work. But it, I, I, the the impression that I get whenever I hear about anybody talking about agile tends to be, it's dumb, it's a waste of time, and, and I guess I'm only talking about developers, right? I'm not, I'm not going around interviewing upper management about whether agile works for them i'm talking to developers and it's just so bizarre to me that like there seems to be such a dichotomy there's people that are on the agile bandwagon and then if you're not 100 percent there then you are at least like 75 percent off right like there's no it, it's such a there's such a void between okay tangent over i guess <laughs> in tangent <laughs> close bracket so do any of you guys do like an RFC type thing where you like kind of make a, a tentative plan and get input from other people? Or
2: What does RFC do stand for?
3: Request for comments.
2: Yeah.
3: I think that's basically what the DACI, the D-A-C-I, that's how we use DACIs at mm-hmm. work as the request for feedback. Yeah.
0: And and does that get updated once the
3: project has started? We don't, know. No. For us, Dacys are, are just documenting the decision at the time. No one goes back and updates them, as far as I know. Okay. But Carol said that she goes back and updates hers.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah, same same for us. We, we basically put out the, you know, here's a new product we're trying to build or, or an addition to an existing product. Here's the decisions we made. We put it in a research ticket. And then it's really just there for historical purpose to, purposes to say when people ask, you know, Well, why did we didn't choose X, you know, technology over this technology or use this product instead of, you know, and we go, well, it wasn't on the list of things we looked at. Oh, let me look at the date. Yeah, it didn't exist then. So yeah, we were working with what we had. So what keeps going
0: through my head is like, what happens if, you know, you're on your way to your team, you know, offsite retreat sort of situation and the plane goes down. And so now your entire team is dead. And, you know, so they have to hire a bunch of people to come in and work after
1: you. And now these people have to I figure I like a more out, okay, positive one. Everyone won the lottery. <laughs> there, there you go. There yeah, you go. More Thanks, positive. And they won the lottery. They they left and they've, they've moved to like well, a remote location out in Borneo. And you can't call them. Yeah, there's, yeah. No, there's no internet. There's no, they're living off the grid.
2: New phones. Sure. Texas.
0: If that makes you feel better than going down on a 737 max. <laughs> let's, let's not kill these hypotheticals. Their lives matter. <laughs> They're killing my hypothetical. Yeah. Anyway. So, uh, but you know, imagine a situation where a bunch of people have to come in and figure out the history of a product. Right. Here's the thing: it's currently working for us. We just need some changes. But you know, you you're coming into this situation. You have to figure out: well, is it safe to change this? Can I can I do this? Or is this is pulling this is removing this wall going to make the whole house fall down? Right. And from what you guys are describing. It sounds like you would have to go back and find a whole bunch of these decision documents to see, like, okay, these are all the documents that reflect the decisions for this particular part of the application. And you have to kind of read them in chronological order to figure it out. Versus if you had like one,
1: or you could do a search on the tickets in Jira,
3: mm-hmm.
1: right? But That's still, awesome. you're you're
0: you're having to find all of all of them and go through them, like in in chronological order. Once you okay, you you said these seven documents apply to. The, the event registration module, right? Whatever it's going to be. And you have to go, okay, well, I could start at the end and kind of work my way backwards and see like, you know, what's what's new each time and I can kind of skip the stuff I already know about because that tells me, you know, I can only keep what's most recent or you can start at the beginning and say, okay, this is how it started and this is what changed and this is what changed and this is what changed. I mean, look, I'm not saying I have a, a, a perfect solution. I just think that there's a reason to consider a single so I mean, let me put it this way if if you joined a team and they said, Here is a set of documents that describe our entire application and it's broken down logically by like sections of the application, different modules, different features, whatever, and each page described one feature or module or whatever like some reasonable blast radius of logic there, and it represents the current state of the application and it's been perfectly kept up to date and not only does it represent the current state of the application, but it, it has held on to all of the history of like how we got here and why. Right? We started with this implementation, and it turned out that that wasn't performant enough, so now we're doing this instead. Right? That's going to keep you from going back to the first implementation because you think it might be better, because now you have direct evidence that it's not better. So if you could get to that world, would you not choose it?
3: Sure. Sounds like a fairy tale, but yeah. <laughs> Well, and it would also be nice that there would be one place in theory that you could subscribe for like a weekly digest of everything that's changed in the system instead of having to go to yeah. change law, you know yeah. seventy four different documents and like them so that you get updates
1: but that that's only gonna give you the stuff during the period of time that you're subscribed to it right so if it's it was prior history you're not gonna yeah, get you're that. getting
0: notifications about those updates, yeah,
1: yeah, but if the document itself has all
0: the relevant history and only the things that don't matter anymore have
1: been removed. And all so how does one, how does one get to the promised land, Adam? <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, you have to, first you have to like the Beatles and you have to wear sunglasses. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I mean, I, I wish I had a silver bullet here, right? Like I think that that is the, the reason it's the promised land is because when nobody's figured out how to get there,
2: because we're all humans and at some point most of us are very lazy with what we're doing or we're in a mm-hmm. rush and we just get it done yeah. and move on.
1: I think that's it. It's my nightmare scenario. You you create this beautiful land of storytelling documentation, documentation about 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 your documentation land and then they don't even bother to read it.
2: No, they don't. You're like those
1: Oh, this, oh, this is, that's too long. Can't, can't be bothered. I'm just going to (laughs) rip this out. I'm going to rip this out and go back to this really cool solution I found, which turns out to be the one you left two years ago because it wasn't performant. And yeah. We're just going to rewrite it all in Svelte. Now, now what did, what did all that fairy tale world building do for you?
3: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think we walk a, we walk a fine line because when we believe that documentation is really important, I almost feel like we often, Error on the side of creating too much documentation, and then it becomes overwhelming and burdensome. I I think we would be healthier to vastly reduce the amount of stuff that we actually put in the documentation, like things that are actually meaningful. Not every decision has to be documented unless the decision can't be reversed in the future. Like you were saying, e- we easily. moved away from something for performance reasons. That's probably something that we should document. But if we, you know, chose X Y Z framework just because like that's what we knew and that's what felt good, like does that need to be documented? Because if we change our mind later, there's you know there's no contraindication that that change is is inherently bad just because we're changing. I think
0: it's it might be worth minimal documentation for things like that, right? So you say. We chose Svelte because we felt it had the best developer experience, right? And then in 10 years, if you go, well, we feel like Svelte is, man, I really, I dug myself into a hole here because I don't want to have to say something negative about Svelte. But uh, (laughs) if we, if in 10 years we decide like, oh, this, all this crappy code that we wrote in Svelte is, is holding us back. Like, you know, you'll, you'll have,
1: we need to write it in thick with two C's. (laughs) Just two? (laughs) Yeah. Um, Not that's felt, it's thick.
0: Yeah, like, it's almost like documenting your assumptions, right? So that if if the world changes, right, if the application is fine, or, or not not fine, like if the application starts suffering, right, and then all of a sudden, and you look at your document and it says, okay, well, we're assuming we're going to be running on AWS, we're assuming that, you know, spot instances are seemingly always available and, and a fair price or whatever, right, like then, and then, you know, your application starts Crashing. What was that thing you were talking about, Ben? Like, you know, and, yeah, and we you ran couldn't tell why.
3: Instances.
0: Yeah. And, and you're like, you go, okay, well, now what? Right. So you can look back at that document and say, okay, well, these assumptions are just no longer true. So we have to sort of reframe the thinking about this application based on the world we currently find ourselves in, not the world that we were in when we originally wrote it. So I think that some minimal you know, baseline documentation has some value. I agree. We don't have to say, like, look, we chose this shade of blue for the buttons because we feel like it. It has a seven percent happiness boost over this shade of blue. We're like, that's. <laughs> we
1: don't need that. Yeah, is that really a design change if you change that color blue? I mean, it's
0: only if you're working at like Google or Facebook, where like changing the shade of blue by like one saturation point could mean a million dollar difference on your conversions, right? Like.
3: Well, was this? I can't remember if this was talked about in the in our Discord or if this was somebody something that somebody at work shared. But someone posted a screenshot of some CSS variables that were called. It was like hot pink and like hot pink lighter, but all the colors were actually blue because at some point the branding had changed from pink to blue. But no one wanted to go <laughs> and change all the variable names.
2: <laughs> oh, you gotta wow. love that.
0: That's why you don't name your variables after yeah. what, what's in them. <laughs> name them after what they're going to be used for. This is the brand color. This is the primary action color. Right,
3: yeah. Well, yeah, Still learning. learning, still learning.
0: <laughs> I, I don't recall seeing that in our Discord, although it does uh, sound uh, vaguely familiar. So maybe it was like posted in our Discord six months ago or something.
3: Maybe. I don't know. You know one thing I will say is I'll see this on Twitter sometimes or Facebook where someone will, will preface their tweet with a lazy like i'm just being lazy here guys and then say you know like hey what's a good 57 inch television with 4k i don't know what tvs do you know what i'm saying and they're like great they're 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 admitting like i could have googled this but i'd rather just ask so that someone informed can give me a better better piece of information and
1: then i just google it and Tell
3: them what my first result is. I almost feel like documentation falls into that trap a little bit. Like, yeah, I could spend a lot of time poking through all the Confluence docs. Or can I just go into the Lazy Docs Slack channel and be like, hey, does anyone know why we're using MySQL 8 over here, but MySQL 5.7 over here? Like, is there a reason for that? And then hopefully someone who was part of that decision actually still works at the company.
2: And just knows. Yeah. Yeah
3: it actually makes me want to create a lazy doc Slack channel because I do think that would be really helpful.
2: I of think course, then I have to get
3: everyone to join it and that'd be a problem.
2: Make it public. Just slowly start sharing it with people.
3: Just invite everybody. <laughs> so yeah. they have no choice.
0: <laughs> I think when you create a new channel in Discord, everybody that has like access to, uh, if it's you make area? it like a public channel or whatever, yeah. it, the whole, everybody's there by default.
3: Oh, I didn't know that.
0: I know this because I recently created our book club channel on our Discord server, and I noticed that everybody was by default there. So that was cool.
2: Haven't read it yet, but I will read your post.
0: Okay. Yeah, it's not a big deal. So it sounds like we're basically done here. Anybody else have Mm -hmm. any final closing thoughts on design docs?
3: I'll, I'll add one closing thought, which is that just because something is documented doesn't mean... Is still the the way that something has to be done, meaning that the documentation is just that it's documentation, but it's not a final decision. If you see something in your infrastructure, your application, and you don't think it's optimal and you want to change it just because the documentation tells you why they chose it, if that's not in opposition to why you want to change it, I don't think people should feel pressure to somehow adhere to what the documentation said. Like it shouldn't be a. Oh,
0: 100% agree. Like, the documentation exists to explain why they are the way they are, not to say you can't change it. Agreed. Right? It, it's, it's adding context for future decisions. That's its whole
1: job. I'll say my, my final take, I, I'll point out a glaring hole, a negative to this entire thing of documenting how the decision was made. It takes away a long time, time-honored, time-honored tradition of when someone in management says, why did we even do this in the first place? Why was it done this way? This is obviously stupid. And because you have it written down, you can't do what we all do now and say, "Well, Jeff, who left two years ago, that was his decision," <laughs> <laughs> and that's that. That's that's a dangerous precedent. I don't know if we can. I don't know if we can <laughs> support that. Honey, okay. It, well, then I guess. Let me say this before we, before
0: we close out the show, we actually happen to know what's going to happen next week on the show. We have it already decided and picked out and and lined up. Am I on the
1: right podcast?
0: (laughs) (laughs) So next week on the show, we're going to have a guest. We're going to have Sean Corfield on to talk about how tech interviewing is broken. That's something that he is pretty fond of saying recently. And he's a, he's the type of person to have strong opinions uh, strongly held uh, Strongly yeah, you held know, Whatever yeah. Strongly he held did. Weekly held yeah. Whatever yeah. He's, he's okay. been in Smart tech guy. a long long time Yes he has Well so, uh, yeah Look forward to that Next week But I guess This is the part Where I say This episode of Working Code Was brought to you by Pound 0492C2 Cerulean Blue Which is clearly better Than pound 63C5DA Sky Blue According to Jeff at least
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> And listeners like you If you're enjoying the show and you want to make sure that we can keep putting more of whatever this is out into the universe, then you should consider supporting us on Patreon. Our patrons cover our recording and editing costs, and we couldn't do this every week without them. Special thanks to our top patrons, Monty and Giancarlo. We are going to go record the after show. Oh, you know what? I forgot to say. We have a new patron this week. And Oddly enough, somewhat of a coincidence, I guess you could say. Our new patron is Sean Corfield.
2: Awesome. Uh,
0: so, oh, nice. Sean, welcome to the club. He wanted, he wanted to hear that sweet, sweet after show. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, I guess Sean doesn't listen to a whole lot of podcasts or any because he, he doesn't like consuming media audially, uh, okay. by audio, right? And he prefers to read and he found out or he figured out how to listen to podcasts by like having the dictation app on his computer, like print it on the screen so uh-huh. he can like watch sort of a live transcription. So of the
2: cool. Podcasting.
1: So he's been reading the cool, podcast. but he, he misses when we break Ben, and <laughs> yeah. he laughs for like a minute and a half. How do they transcribe that? I would love to see it. Sean, send I us a love, screenshot yeah. when you get there. <laughs>
0: anyway, so we're going to go record our after show, and that is something that our patrons get. And if you would like to get that, then you can go to patreon.com slash workingcodepod. Your homework this week? is to join our Discord, right? So we've talked briefly about the book club. We talked a little bit more about it last week. It's coming up. We picked our book. We've kind of picked a general format that we're going to have these discussions. We're still ironing out the day of week and time of day that we will be getting together to discuss the the current chapters with our listeners in Discord. But if you want to be part of those discussions, you're going to have to join our Discord. So you can do that by going to workingcode.dev slash Discord. That's going to do it for us this week. We'll catch you next week. And until then, remember, guys, gals, your
1: hearts matter. Except you, Jeff. Why did you choose to stick with VB Script for decades? (laughs) Curse you, Jeff. Glad you're gone.
2: You've been listening to Working Code with your hosts, Adam, Ben, Carol, and Tim. If you're enjoying the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and review on your preferred podcast listening platform. We really appreciate that effort. We'll catch you on the next episode of Working Code.